Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Jonah. The book of Jonah is an insightful book about how God cares for humanity. Its message begs the question for all Christ followers, are we caring for and loving people like Jesus does? We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Christine Kane writes in her book, Undaunted, this. The Greece I found in March 2010 was not the one I remembered from my honeymoon. There were no stunning whitewashed buildings, no lapis blue tile rooftops, no festive music, no mouth-watering food, none of that. This afternoon, the streets were empty. They were dark and wet. The normally crystal blue Mediterranean pounded hard against the Greek shipping port. And they, they were 14 young women mostly Eastern European, recently rescued from sex sex trafficking. But they hadn't begun their journey as women. They had been mere schoolgirls when lured from their hometowns. Now securely hidden in a safe house, we were to speak to them face to face. I kept reminding myself, this is not a movie. This is not reality TV. This is real. Nadia spoke up. She said how she had been raised in a village at a time of war and deprivation. And in that time, she lived on dreams, dreams of escaping the hunger, dreams of a world far away from her ravaged village, dreams of becoming a nurse. So just three weeks before her 17th birthday, when a man approached her group of friends at a bus stop and told of opportunities to work in Greece, the embers of Nadia's dream began to glow brighter. The man told the girls that Greece was beautiful and that people prospered there. He said there were many good-paying jobs for waitresses and hairdressers and nurses, blinded by the light of opportunity. Nadia convinced her parents to let her go and to pay for her airfare. When she arrived, Nadia was met at the airport in Greece by a woman from the hiring agency who spoke no Russian, which Nadia spoke, and Nadia spoke no Greek. But despite the confusion, she went with the woman to an apartment building where she was shown a room that she supposed would be hers. The woman left, and Nadia began to unpack And within minutes, her nightmare began. One by one, these women shared their horrendous stories with Christine. Stunned by the stories, she listened quietly while questions hammered at her heart. How could this possibly happen in this world today? No matter how much money is involved, how can anyone be so depraved to make sex slaves of others, let alone Make it an international organization, enslaving not just one girl, but hundreds of thousands of girls over and over. Sonia, a Russian girl who had arrived at the shelter the previous day, interrupted my flood of thoughts. Why are you here? She demanded. Her eyes narrowed with suspicion. Why did you come? 
Oh God, I prayed, help me help them. She breathed deeper and she looked at Sonia for a moment and said, There is only one rescuer I know with the power to free us from the darkest prison. That rescuer is the God I love who loves us so much that he left everything to come for us, to free us. He is the one who made us, each of us, for a unique purpose and a magnificent destiny. He makes right what the world makes wrong. His plans are for good, not for evil. He came to give me a hope and a future and to give you the same thing. His promises are true. His love is full of forgiveness and peace and joy and kindness and grace. He is the true rescuer. He saves us from any prison, whether physical or emotional or spiritual, ones we're forced into and ones we fall into in our, on our own. He chooses us. He can make all things new. He loves us without condition forever. And that God asks us who love him to do the same for others, to choose them, to be agents of his hope, his forgiveness, and his grace. He asks us to join him in rescuing them. That's why I'm here. That's why I've come. Sonia's eyes filled with tears. Christine writes, I could see her grappling with the concept of unconditional love, the meaning of grace, and all things being made new. All the whys and hows of what I'd said furrowed her brow. All the what-ifs and possibilities had died in her long ago. Yet here I was, resurrecting them. She was thinking, what if there are good people and true promises and a merciful God who loves me and chooses me and can lift me from the impoverishment, the betrayal and fear, the hurt and horror? What if? No. Sonia could not believe all this. It was too good to be true. She knew all about promises being too good to be true. The risk of allowing hope to re-enter her life only to see that hope dashed again was too much. Her anguish turned back to anger and she pushed back from the table. What if you are telling me the truth? And what if what you said about your God is true? Then where were you? Where have you been? And why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you come sooner? That's a heavy question and one that weighed Christine down with guilt. But that question also helped her discover God's purpose for her life. That question spurred Christine on to dedicate her life to rescue people from the darkness of human trafficking and to rescue people from the darkness of an eternity separated from God. You know, you and I may not get to rescue people from human trafficking, but every single one of us has been called by God to rescue people from the darkness of an eternity separated from God. So once we've found hope in a, of eternal life in Christ, once we've moved from 
darkness to light and recognize we've been saved, God has called us. But if we haven't told others, then they have the right to ask us, why haven't you told me? Why haven't you told me about the hope that you have? This morning, I want to share a message with you that will encourage you to begin to share boldly with others the hope that you have in Jesus. Last week, we began this short little study on the book of Jonah. And this week, we're going to look at the sign from the book of Jonah that points to the truth that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one to come, that Jesus is the one that moves people from the darkness of eternal separation from God to the lightness of eternal life forever and ever. Scholars call the promise that we're going to look at the sign of Jonah. So in the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus has been confronted by the Pharisees at every turn. In verse 38 of that chapter, we read this. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw him. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't trust Jesus. They saw Jesus as a rabble-rouser. They didn't believe his message for a host of reasons. First, because he wasn't saying what they were saying. They were saying that they were still waiting on God's chosen Messiah. And Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah. They were saying you have to obey the laws of Judaism in order to be saved by God. And Jesus was saying you need to repent and believe in him to be saved by God. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he symbolized that he was a king, the coming king, coming in peace. But that's not what they were expecting. They were expecting a military conquering king riding on a war horse, a stallion. They didn't believe what Jesus was saying and doing. The reality was they were not happy with Jesus because he was challenging their comfortable lives. When they asked Jesus for a sign, he knew they didn't really want a sign. They were constantly messing with him and trying to get him to stop spreading his good news. That's why Jesus rebuked them, calling them a wicked and adulterous generation because they didn't worship God. They worshiped their religion that gave them comfort. When Jesus said, I will only give you the sign of Jonah, you and I can't miss the parallel that he's making between Jonah and himself. He said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
This is an unmistakable sign that like Jonah was entombed in the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man was entombed in the earth. Now, the term Son of Man is a title that Jesus used to refer to himself. And we have the beauty of 2020 hindsight. And so we know from studying the Bible and the, and the Gospels that he was, would refer to himself as the Son of Man, meaning the Messiah. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't know that. Had they have known that, they would have charged him with preaching blasphemy, saying that he was the chosen one of God. Now, I also suspect that some of you as students of the Bible said, well, you know, he said he was in the earth for three days and three nights. You know, if I add that together, three full days, 24 hours times three would be 72. But from my own reading of the Gospels, you're probably thinking, you know, I, I know that he was buried in the tomb after he died and was taken off the cross on Good Friday. And Scripture says that uh, they did this before sundown, so probably before 6 p.m. But you know he was in the tomb all day Saturday, so that was 24 hours. But then you know in the story of the resurrection, the women went to see and prepare his body, and they found the tomb empty and Jesus raised, and they had gone out before sunrise. So it wasn't 72 hours. So what does that mean? Well, scholars who study Jewish writing understand that when, uh, in Hebrew, when they talk about three days and three nights, they're not talking about a literal 24 hours. They're saying as long as it was a portion of each day, it was three days. And so we understand that, that Jesus fulfilled the sign of Jonah, that he proved that he was the one who was to come. He showed them. Now, obviously, again, we have the beauty of hindsight. So think that through. Jesus fulfilled the sign of Jonah, that he was the Messiah, coming with a message for the world, a message similar to Jonah's but not exactly the same. The sign of Jonah was the sign that came with the message, and in fact, it was the saving message. So let's talk about that. When you read through the book of Jonah, you discover that God uses Jonah to do some amazing things. But first, Jonah runs from God, and he's swallowed by a large fish. God rescues him from the entombment in the fish. And now, instead of running from God, when God tells him to go to Nineveh, he finally relents, and he goes. And there he goes to speak to a population of 120,000 people. And he's supposed to tell the people to repent. He's supposed to tell them what they need to do to repent. But Jonah is a reluctant prophet. And this is all he says. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it. Pretty clear, but pretty thin. Nineveh is under judgment. Some people want to make a big deal about 40 more days, and they like to say that 40 symbolizes something. You know, you can study the Scripture, and you can see that there's some, there's some similar traits when it comes to 40 days, but we can't say that that was the specific meaning. But we can't ignore that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights before the flood. We can't ignore that the Israelites wandered for 40 days in the desert. We can't ignore that Jesus went out into the desert where he, was fast, where he fasted and was tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. So we see in there a trend of trials, of temptations, of preparing 
to get oneself right with God. Jonah's message, though it was incredibly brief, we learn later that the reason it's so brief is he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. But it was enough of a message that the Ninevites understood what Jonah was telling them. It was their wake-up call. And so they realized that if they took that wake-up call, they could save their lives. When Jesus began his ministry, he said this. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus was saying that the time was right for God's rule to be established on the earth. And like Jonah, Jesus was also calling people to repentance. But he was also calling people to trust in him and believe him. Obviously, the power of Jesus' message is much greater than Jonah's. God wanted Jonah to get the Ninevites' attention so that they would change their ways and avoid being wiped from the face of the planet. But Jesus' message is far greater, and it's timeless. It goes for countless generations, forever and ever. Jesus was calling people then and now to repentance so they could participate in the kingdom of God while they're on this earth and when they die and they'll spend forever in heaven. Jesus was calling them to salvation now and forever. So let me just share with you the differences between Jonah and Jesus. Remember, Jonah hated the Ninevites. He only went because God forced him to. Jesus couldn't have been much different. Couldn't have been much more different. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran toward it. Jonah came only because he had to. Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah sat outside the city and hoped for Nineveh's destruction. Jesus stood outside Jerusalem and wept and pleaded for her salvation. The only reason Jonah delivered the message to Nineveh was to save his own life. Jesus delivered his message even though it cost him his life. Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea because of his sin. Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath for our sin. Jonah was taken down to the depths of darkness for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was taken into the darkness of death for three days for our disobedience. Jonah was more upset about the death of a plant than he was the destruction of the people of Nineveh. Jesus gladly endured the pain of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was seen rebellious sons and daughters saved. Jonah showed up bearing only an announcement of condemnation. Jesus announced that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. When God's mercy was extended to Nineveh, Jonah wallowed in self-pity and cursed God. Jesus depicted himself as a father who yearns for the return of his son so badly that he runs to meet him and forgives him even before the son can even say he's sorry. But Jesus and his message are truly greater than Jonah. And the message that they both brought Jonah's was time-bound, Jesus is timeless, was a message 
of significance. So let's talk about that message, the significance of repentance. If you go to the dictionary, you'll discover that to repent means to the act of feeling and expressing sincere regret and remorse about one's wrongdoing and sin. Repentance has always been a part of following God. Because we as humans are sinners, we have to repent to get right with God. When we don't, we're always trying to take over and to be like God and disobey God. Go back to the beginning, to the creation. Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to follow their will and not God's will. Both Jonah and Jesus called people to repentance. So let's see what happened after Jonah gave his very short call. In this third chapter of Jonah, we read, The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issued this proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people uh, or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So everybody from the king to the least important person in the kingdom, and even the animals were called to repent. It appears that everyone repented, and they demonstrated their repentance by doing something. The things that they did were they fasted, and they put on sackcloth. These actions were things that one does when one repents and grieves and has sorrow for their actions. They were grieving and being sorrowful for their sinful ways. And they were demonstrating that. They were grieving from their, for their disobedience that had pushed them to the edge of extinction. And these actions were the way they were demonstrating their repentance. In the next verse in Jonah chapter 3, we read this. When God saw what they did and how... They had turned from their evil ways. He relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. When Jesus called people to repentance, he said, repent and believe. But what's the evidence of a changed heart? Yes, it begins with a repentant heart, but anyone can say they're repentant without changing their lives. True repentance results in turning from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. True repentance means I stop following my way and start following God's ways. True repentance means we live our lives following God's will. True repentance means believing in Jesus and following him and what he says. So coming to faith in Jesus means believing in Jesus. And that process involves a change of heart. 
which is evidenced by a change of living. Think this through. On the day of Pentecost, the day that the church was born, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on people, the Apostle Peter preached. And thousands of people who didn't know about Jesus came to faith. And this is what they said after they believed the message that Peter preached. Brothers, what shall we do? The scripture says this cut them to the heart and they wanted to do, no, now what should we do? Because we believe this. What should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. You see what Peter says to do after repentance? To be baptized. The, the first act of obedience of following Jesus. So that day, 3,000 people were baptized. You see, the, the sign of being a believer in Jesus Christ is following his teaching and following what he says to do about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that first step, that first act, is baptism. So if you've never been baptized, I encourage you to do that. In fact, I encourage you to write on that welcome card in front of you that you want to be baptized, and we'll get together and we'll make a plan to do that. But after we're baptized, it doesn't stop there. It means I'm going to live my life saying, what would Jesus do if he were walking in my shoes? If, if Jesus was living Clark's life today, what would he do? How would he act toward people? What would he say with them? What would Jesus do faced with the decisions that I have to make? And then you can do the same for you. What would Jesus do if he were in your shoes? It means basically saying, I'm going to live my life following him and asking myself what I would do if I were Jesus. And I'm not going to just stop with asking the question. Once I know the answer, I'm going to be faithful and obedient. At Easter, we celebrate that Jesus came to save the entire world, to move us from the darkness of eternal separation from God on earth and in eternity to walking in the light of Jesus while we live this life and once we die. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And he said that he wanted us to have that full life, and that's following him and doing what he tells us to do, being faithful and obedient to him. And so once we come to faith in him, once we move from darkness to light, once we accept him as our Savior, as our Lord, and start to follow him, then he says, now that you're following me, this is what I want you to do. And yes, part of it's being obedient to how he wants you to live your life, but it's also sharing with others the good news that you've received. Telling those people that God has placed in your life, in your pathway, what Jesus means to you. How he's moved you from darkness to light. It means being a part of that team that shares the good news of Jesus. So, this morning, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the people in your life that you need to share that message with. And I want to ask you to pray about that this morning, to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in those opportunities to give you the words and for you to trust 
the words that the Holy Spirit gives you. Think about the lives that you've put in, been put in contact with, where you work, where you live, the family that you have, the extended family, the friends. Think about how you can share with them and when that opportunity may arise. And it may begin with you sharing with them during this week where it's very relevant to talk about what Jesus means in your life, sharing with them about how you've come to believe in Jesus and how you made that decision and what a difference he has made in your life. It may be as simple as inviting something, someone to an event where they can hear more about Jesus. So I want you to think about the fact that somewhere in your life, somebody shared with you the good news of Jesus. And you believed and you repented and you began to follow. Hopefully you were baptized, but you began to follow. And now that you're following, he says, now that you're on my team, I want you to share that with others, just like somebody shared it with you. So I want to pray for each and every one of us that we'll do that this week, but not just this week, for all of our lives, because we're called to be his followers. So bow your heads. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus into the world. And he suffered and died on our behalf, paying the price for our sins, giving us eternal life through faith in him because he defeated the power of death and sin for himself and for us and for the world. Thank you that that message has come to us and it has changed our hearts and our minds and our lives and our eternity is guaranteed with you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through the power of your Holy Spirit to take that same message that we've heard to others, that you would make us sensitive to when the time is right, to share our story, to ask if someone wants to know more or if they believed, to invite them to a place where they can hear the good news, whatever it is, Lord, that we would hear your call and we would share with them the power of what you've done in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.